Philippians has a lot of great verses, and it also has in here one of uh, the most well-known verses, verse that is on, you can find in, on graphics, you can find on posters, you can find on t-shirts, you can find on coffee mugs, you can find all over the place. You hear people quoting it all the time. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or something, a translation along those lines. And it is also one of those verses that gets taken out of context more than almost any other verse in Scripture. There are a few others that could rival it, uh, but it is definitely one that we don't view in context often. And I remember as a kid thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's great. I can do all things, and I believe that. I could jump off a building, and I could fly. And I had to think, well, I guess it's if he wants us to do that, then I could. And he, he could make me fly if, I wa- if God wanted me to, but he probably doesn't, so I probably shouldn't do that. But is that really what this verse is all about, being able to have superpowers? You hear quoted by athletes, uh, whatever level, and even um, you know, student athletes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so we're going to win this game. And you know, the other team is saying the same thing, so I don't know how that works. Uh, you hear people quoting it about you know, their, their personal goals, their you know, exercise program, their, their business that they're starting. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we have to think, what does this passage actually mean? Is it about achieving your goals? Is it about following your dreams? You know, having the success that God wants you to have. I've seen some great uh, memes, you know, the things that people post to Facebook about this. Uh, one that I, I re- appreciated was a little cartoon that I saw a while back. And a guy opening a pickle jar. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the wife replied, it's a pickle jar, Tom. Twist the lid, not scripture. I like that. <clears throat> I think my, my favorite one that references this, it's uh, uh, that meme that maybe you've seen with the screaming woman and the cat. Uh, there's different versions of this. People post their, uh, change the text around. Uh, but this one was, I can do all things through Christ. And the reply, yeah, you skip church when it rains. <laughs> all your fortitude here. But I think this verse is a real lesson to us in what is called context. Reading something in context. Think of what context means. You see con, which means with, and text, which is the, the, what is written. It's the text that's there. And so when, to really understand Scripture, we need to read it in context. And that means both, uh, not just that verse, God didn't just send down, you know, little verse fortune cookies for us. It's in a letter, uh, which is contained in paragraphs. It's connected to what comes before and after it. And it's in a letter, which is in a testament, which is in a Bible. So context is both the, the words around the text, and it's also the world around the text. And the more that we understand that, the more we can understand what this is going to mean. So, we have several verses uh, that we're going to go through. We're going to start, we'll read 10 through 13. 13 is the one that says, I can do all things through him and strengthens me. And I think when we read this in context, we're going to see, oh, this is what Paul was getting at. And maybe it's not about flying or winning the sports game or uh, you know, achieving your dreams, but actually it's about something that is actually even more valuable for us to realize, and something that we really need God's help for as well. So let's just go ahead. We'll read 10 through 13. 
It says, I rejoiced. I see the word rejoice again. This whole letter has been about joy, rejoicing over and over. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That word concern also means uh, mindset. It's a, a Greek word that's been used over and over again in Philippians. It says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So there you have that verse in context. And in here in this letter, Paul is, Philippians is, it's many things. He's writing it for many purposes. Uh, but this is a thank you letter that he is writing to the church at Philippi for financial help that they gave him while he is imprisoned in Rome, that he's chained, uh, that he needs his need, food provided for him, uh, the place that he's staying, paying for that, and he's unable to take care of this. The Philippians found out they sent funds to help Paul, and he's giving this thank you. And so we see now what this is about. So I want to summarize the first point here in these verses and say it like this. Through Christ, you can learn contentment in any situation, in any circumstance. And that's really what he is talking about here when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The th- all things that he's talking about, we can go back and read this again. Remember, he's, he's, uh, we look at this again. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived concern for me. Now, that almost makes it seem like, well, they stopped caring for him. They just, they forgot about him. But that's not really uh, what was going on. The word that's used there for revived your concern, uh, basically means renewed attention. They, uh, in the sense of, um, they saw a need again, and now they acted again. It wasn't that they ever stopped having concern or love for Paul. And he goes on to make that clear. He said, you were indeed concerned for me. Uh, that never changed, but you had no opportunity Meaning, I didn't have, I wasn't in this need before where you've helped me out in the past, uh, but then there was a while where there wasn't a need, but now you saw a need again and you helped me out again. And he's thanking them for this. But then he also clarifies that his attitude is that no matter the circumstance that he's in, he is going to have contentment. We've seen in this letter that joy in life does not depend on your circumstances. It is a deep thing. It is an abiding thing. It doesn't change because God doesn't change. And when you have Christ in the center of your life, that doesn't change. And the deepest treasure that you have can never be touched by the circumstances in the world around you that you are facing. And so whether you are in the good times and things are going great, or whether you are in the desperate times, in the hardest of hard times, He's saying that the joy that he has in Christ can remain the same. The contentment that he has is able to remain the same. And that's why he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Um, I mean, he appreciates that he does have need. But he says, for, which means because, I've learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. Contentment is this huge virtue that we need to learn. We need to uh, 
have that in our life. And we live in a culture that does not want you to be content. People make more money when you are discontent. That gets you to buy the next thing. Gets you to go after the next thing. Advertisers and businesses go broke if you're too content. And he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, not just the good ones, I've learned the secret. There is a secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So learning contentment. I think it's the first lesson that we need to learn from this. This is a deep lesson. And that God, through Christ, can help us to learn this in any situation. Uh, but contentment can be hard. And it's something, but it's something that can be learned. And it's something that God uh, can teach us. And he has ways of teaching us. And usually those ways are not just, here's a, here's a curriculum. Obviously there's things from Scripture we need to learn. But God also has ways of communicating and teaching us to be content. Um, a while back, uh, Tim Anderson, uh, who maybe you know, he has a beautiful Camaro. It is a beautiful car. It's yellow. It's got black stripes. It's a convertible. You know, it looks like Bumblebee. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a work of art. And he said to me, hey, pastor, you want to borrow the Camaro and take your wife out on a date? And I said, yes, please. And so we arranged a time to do this. It was a beautiful day. Uh, so we got the Camaro. We put the top down. Uh, so um, with, with my love, and we you know, took it out for a drive, driving around. We went out to eat and just had, had a great time. It was, it, was, it, was, it was just a lot of fun. And then afterwards, I dropped off at, off at home, and I was going to bring it back. And so um, I'm like, well, I gotta, I'm going to stop at the, the gas station and fill it up because you don't bring a car back, you know, with a half-empty tank. So I'm going to bring it back with a full tank. So I'm at the gas station, the Shell station, right in Middleville here, okay? And I'm, I'm filling it up. And as I'm doing that, you know, a few thoughts hit me. And one thought that hit me was, you know, right now, this is the nicest car right now at this gas station. Actually, I don't see any other nicer cars even coming by. I think this is, I got the nicest car here in, in quite a ways. And then another thought hit me. Nobody knows this isn't my car. <laughs> and then I realized that, and then I kind of got some swagger. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, here I am. You know, just, yeah, you know, this me just filling up my car here. I'm a car guy. I can, you know, I got this. And, uh, you know, I, I'm someone that I can appreciate a nice car. You know, I think there's some good common grace to it. It's a thing of beauty. Um, most of my, you know, car knowledge is all theoretical. Uh, I mean, I drive a Kia. <laughs> okay. And, uh, but I've watched a lot of seasons of Top Gear. And so I know about the nice cars. I know there's all kinds of different levels of nice cars. And as I'm th- sitting there thinking, you know, people are thinking, yeah, this, he's a car guy. He's got a nice car. I started thinking, you know what? You know, it'd be nice to have kind of a nicer car. Um, so maybe what I could afford some time and, you know, just a few levels up and I don't know. And the, the car lust was starting to kind of build in my heart. And right as that was happening, right as I'm thinking all that, and this is in the Shell station in Middleville, and as I'm there filling up, right next to me, exactly next to me, driving at me, this guy drives in in a Red Ferrari. <laughs> I kid you not. 
<laughs> I, I wanted to gawk at it. I wanted to try to figure out which kind it, you know, it is. I, 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 it was probably something like a 488. I don't, I don't know for sure because I was trying to play it cool still. Like if I realized, if I just start gawking at this guy or I thought about, can I like take a picture on the sly? But I realized, no, I'm supposed to be like, hey, we're two car guys. Look at this, you know. <laughs> but, it, but then it just, it just hit me. There's no way that this guy thinks we're in the same club. Okay, and no offense to Camaros, but this guy driving a Ferrari, there's just no way he thinks that. And then all my car lust just kind of deflated. <laughs> like, yeah, what's the point? You know, just be happy with what you got. Because, you know, I got a, uh, it's great. I got a car that runs. I got a friend that'll let me drive his Camaro once in a while. Um, but I realized, too, you know, this guy is not thinking, oh, we're in the same thing. You get in that mindset and you always have to, what step are you at? And even if I had like a slightly less nice Ferrari, this guy's probably thinking, yeah, well, my Ferrari's better than your Ferrari. And he's probably worried that, you know, there's other people with nicer Ferraris out there. You know, and there's people, you know, he probably thinks he's all great until he starts thinking about, yeah, well, there's this McLaren or a Bugatti or something. Um, And there's just no way of winning this. You know, if you start to get in that mindset of comparison, there's always something nicer that you're going to be discontent about. So I realized, okay, I'll save a lot of money too by not playing this game. And I'm happy with my Kia. You know, for the longest time, I got a Kia Optima now. I mean, for the longest time, I drove a Kia Rio. Okay, you're not impressing anybody in a Ferrari with a Kia Rio. Uh, but I was happy with that too. You know, it, uh, in my current car, it's, it's comfortable. Uh, it runs. It's paid for. Okay. And before that, my, my other Kia, I was happy with that one. I just had that one, the little red Kia Rios. I had two of them. And they were fine. Uh, in, thinking back, you know, in high school, I mean, I drove a 79 Dodge Omni. So I don't know how many of you know what that is, but this little, oh man, this thing, I bought it off a friend for like $300 and probably got, well, that was more than it should have cost, but... Uh, <laughs> The power steering was broken in this car, so if I wanted to go around a corner, I had to grab the spoke of the wheel, you know, to, if I was going slow to get enough torque to go around. Uh, Dodges back in those days had these weird handles that instead of flipping up, you had to just squeeze them, which is all fine, but I'm a kid, and I'm parked out in the snow, and it's Wisconsin, so every morning in, in winter, they would be all iced up, so I'd have to be out there with the de-icer and trying to, and if I did get them to where I could open the car, then it wouldn't shut. And so I'd have to drive 10 miles to school holding the car door shut. And after a while, I realized, what's the point of this? And it was a hatchback. The hatch didn't lock, and it also didn't stay up. So I would lift the hatch up. I'd throw my bag in. I would jump in through the hatch, climb to the front, and, and drive to school in my little Dodge Omni. So after that, even my little Kia Rio, I was pretty content. You know, contentment is like that. If you start comparing always to the next thing, the next better thing, you're never going to be happy. But if you can just be happy and focus on just the, uh, what you have and God providing actual needs. Uh, my dad would always tell me, remember, your car is not your friend. It's to get you from point A to point B. If it does that, it's, it's, it's doing its job. Anything else is just bonus points. And uh, you know, it's a lot easier to be content when you don't get used to the other things. Once you get used to it, that's a lot tougher. Uh, 
So when Paul says, you know, I've, basically he's mastered the secret of being content not only in the low situations, oh, that's impressive, but being content in the higher situations when there are those good times, that's even more impressive. To keep that attitude where you can be content, you have this, you're grateful for it, but even if it goes away, that you're still content because sometimes things go away. Sometimes, you know, it's not always an upward climb. Sometimes you lose things. Sometimes things break. Sometimes the bottom drops out financially. If it's all about your relationships too, sometimes those things change. If it's about your health, sometimes those things change. Eventually it's going to. But can you be content with what you have and be grateful for what God has given you at this moment? Maybe things will change, but be thankful for what he has given you. And yeah, it's tough to go backwards when I was a kid, we didn't have air conditioning in the house until like my senior year. And then we got like a little window unit. Um, we have fans, you know, blowing and you stick to the sheets all night long. But you're, it's miserable, you're used to it. Now central air, I, it'd be hard to go back. But you've got to learn that secret of being content where you are. Contentment can be learned. Paul talks about this. He's learned this. He's learned the secret. So I started thinking, what are some of these secrets that we have? Um, you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not naturally a content person. That's okay. It can be learned. And God will help teach you these things. So I tried thinking of a few examples. Uh, there's more than this, but I'm going to go through this quick for the sake of time. These are not all necessarily from this passage, uh, but I, think, I was trying to think of the book of Philippians as a whole and scriptural principles and also what makes people content and not content. So... There's probably more you can think of, but here's a few I'd have you think about. Kind of learning contentment, learning the art of contentment. First, don't let yourself think, I deserve better. I mean, that is one of the common mistakes and it's something advertisers always want to do. You deserve better than this. You know, they play on your pride, they play on your, your ego. Remember the example that Paul gave of Christ in chapter 2? That he came to this world, he was willing to do this because he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He actually deserved equality with God because he was God. But he was willing to let go to that and come down and live a miserable life on this earth. Uh, 2,000 years ago, it didn't even have all the comforts that, that any of us have today. Uh, but he did this and even went to the cross because he was willing to, to humble himself, not focused on what he deserved. We need to also avoid comparisons with better situations. Again, if you're always thinking about what's the, what's the other thing, what's the next thing, then you're not going to be happy with what God has given you at this moment. And maybe there's going to be something else and aspiring to something. is not necessarily wrong, but you've got to focus on what you have and be grateful for it. Otherwise, you're going to go through all of life without gratitude or without taking the joy of just thanking God for the, 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 simple, the simplicity of what he has given you. And you know what? It's probably a lot better than it could be. And we need to be thankful. Don't believe the lie that this, the better situation is what you need to finally be happy. They think, I'm miserable, I'm miserable in my situation, but if I just had this, then I would be happy. I mean, that's what every commercial wants you to think. If you have product X, oh, finally you'll be happy. And it's never like that. People, you know, they get it and maybe you're happy for like a split second or your kid is happy when they finally get this but then immediately it's on to the next thing. I want the next toy or we finish this in the house. It's on to the next thing. Uh, Don't believe 
The lie that a thing or a circumstance is what is going to finally make you happy. That's not where real joy comes from. The evangelist Billy Graham, he told a story once. Uh, He said that they were um, in the line of their work. They were on an island in the Caribbean one time. And he says that one of the wealthiest men in the world asked us to come and to visit his lavish home for lunch. He was 75 years old and throughout his entire meal he seemed close to tears. I am the most miserable man in the world, he said. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, yet I am miserable. Billy Graham said they prayed with him, tried to point him to Christ, who alone gives lasting meaning to life. And he said, later that afternoon, we met with the pastor of the local Baptist church. He was an Englishman. He, too, was 75. He was a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. And he was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. He said, I don't have two pounds to my name, he said with a smile, but I am the happiest man on the island. Billy asked Ruth when they left, who do you think is the richer man? And she didn't have to reply because they already knew the answer. Where does real riches, where does real joy come from? Remember too that you know, God is sovereign over things. He is in control and when we recognize that, we can recognize that what we have or our circumstances come from his hand, come from his purposes. Paul, again, he's writing this while he is imprisoned. He may be facing death. He doesn't know for sure how this is going to turn out. And he's been stuck there for several years at this point. But he doesn't view this as just uh, the random circumstances of the world. He acknowledges God being in control of this. And with God being in control, he knows that God has his purposes for this. That even if this isn't what he would have picked for for himself, he knows that God has his reasons, that God is working both in Paul's life, but also for his greater mission in this world and the people that are going to be affected through all of this. And so we realize that God is sovereign. Part of that means you can appreciate the advantages of your situation. You know, it doesn't mean just... Well, part of it does mean being thankful for the good things that you have. You know, looking at the cup half full, that type of thing. Uh, so you can always you know, count your blessings. It sounds trite, but it is really true. Think of all the things that, man, I have this, but what if I didn't? I'm, I'm grateful that I have these things that God has provided. But also with that, with God being in control, there are also advantages, not just, well, this is what I have, but this is how God is using this. And maybe you're going through a hardship, but you realize, you know what? God is using this in my life to build my character. God is using this to wean me off of other things that are destructive that would actually steal my joy in the long run because it would inflame my heart to live for, for idols or things that can't really satisfy or deliver. You realize when you have a mindset like Paul had that uh, the glory of Christ was the most important thing. And that if he is using your circumstance to help other people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for the gospel to advance, then that is good. And that goal is so worth it to you that you're okay with having this different situation in life because you know that God is at work through this. And draw on Christ for strength. We saw in chapter 4 already, He talks about in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Part of the way that God is going to give you all strength in Christ 
is you're praying to him, you're depending on him and him answering that prayer. You're being thankful, it's gratitude, and he's giving you this. And through this all, you are desiring God as your ultimate treasure. I mean, that's what Paul was doing here. He valued Christ as the ultimate treasure, and he wanted other people to know Christ. And so he was okay with his circumstances if this is what God was going to use to cause him and to cause other people to know and love Jesus Christ better. If things are your treasure, well, then you're going to have to go after those things. If there's people are your ultimate treasure, okay. And if those things come and go, your joy comes and goes. But if God is your ultimate treasure, that glorifies him and it also gives you a satisfaction and a joy that cannot be taken away. Because when you have God in your life, Christ in your center, because he, you have trusted him as your savior, he's adopted you as his child, that is not something that gets taken away. That's not something that you can lose. The world can take away everything else from you, but they cannot take away your relationship with God that you will have for all eternity. And one last thing, and I think this actually goes into the next, generosity with your, your other treasures, you know, the lesser things, time, talent, treasure, money, loosens their grip on you. When you're able to give away these other things, it's a way of saying, you are not my idol. That you're willing to take some of your money and use it for other purposes. It says, I'm not worshiping you. I don't need you. There's, we need needs provided for. But when we're generous with these things, it's not just a good thing to do, a duty, which it should be. We, we should be doing this. But it also loosens that grip of idolatry. It means I don't depend on these things for my joy and my happiness. Which brings us to our second point here, 14 through 18. Through Christ, you can gain a spirit of generosity. Paul is going to talk about the Philippians and their generosity. So let's look at this. Remember, this is ultimately a thank you letter. You get this big thank you that's in the end. Um, He doesn't specifically say it with the words thank you, but it's obviously what he's getting at. Verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, the Philippi is in the region that's called Macedonia, said no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. That you were the first ones to support me, to, to help me out from this area. And I needed it and you were there and you delivered and you helped. And so we were partners in the gospel. That uh, my work was also your work because you were giving to this work and God was working through me, working through you and us doing this together as co-laborers, as partners in the gospel, this mission that God has given. That was also a huge theme that we kept seeing in the book of Philippians, this, this partnership in ministry. And he said, even in Thessalonica, when Paul was there, you sent me help for the, my needs once and again. So this is not the first time they have helped him out. They've helped him out many times. And he says, not that I seek the gift. He said, ultimately, it's not about the money. It's not about the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, it's the, the messenger that brought it, the gift you sent, a fragment, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So as he talks about this, he's saying time and time again, the Philippians, they were there for him when he needed them. They met Paul's practical needs. Uh, they entered into that partnership of ministry. 
And so when we look at this, we see the Philippians, they have this, gen, this uh, spirit of generosity. And that's something that God wants us to have too. Contentment and generosity. You know, these things kind of go together because if you're stingy, if you're always greedy, it's kind of hard to be also generous because you want to collect. You know, I don't want to lose what I have. But when you're content, you know, you're able to help others. You're able to give to the Lord's work, to the greater good that is happening. So we think about some of the lessons here. And one is, yeah, like the Philippians, we also need to be aware of needs. Okay, so looking towards them and practicing generosity for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's work. And so what he's talking about here, helping Paul, but this is also taking the gospel, the greatest uh, thing that people need the most. And there are other needs too. The Bible talks about, you know, gifts of mercy, helping people in physical needs too. That's another way also of doing God's work too. So we see people that are in need in different ways, you know, being able to help them. Yeah, and maybe it's through church. Maybe it's through an organization. Maybe you're helping them on your own on the side as well. Uh, but this also means, you know, supporting the work of, um, you know, God's uh, you know, ministry through church, through missions, and various different ways of doing this. And you don't have to be a multimillionaire to do this. Uh, we get a hint that the Philippians were not crazy rich. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, it really says that they gave out of their poverty. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, Paul writes, we, he's writing to the Corinthians, but he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Remember, Philippi is in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. We also see here that generosity is a fruit of a, of a healthy, born-again heart. And that's why he's saying to them, it's not ultimately about the gift, but I'm, I'm glad because this shows what God is doing in your heart and in your life. It is, it is a fruit and it shows God's fruitfulness. And you know what? This, God's going to reward you for this too. Now, he doesn't mean this in a health and wealth way, like if you give your money, God's going to bless you with all kinds of material blessings on this earth. No, I think most of the blessings we get are joy, our eternal rewards, I mean, God will take care of our needs. We're going to see this, but uh, don't be looking at us from just a, a crass, you know, well, if I give my, my down payment, God will, you know, give me this huge tenfold blessing. That's false teaching. But there is eternal rewards. You're in, when you invest in the Lord's work, you're making an investment in something that can't go away if the stock market crashes. You know, it, it doesn't go away. Uh, Randy Elkhorn talks about it like storing up your, your treasure in heaven. Well, the Bible talks about that that way. Uh, that you know, you're taking it so that you can, um, it, you're putting it into an account that cannot be touched because you're investing it in the work of God and what he is doing. In his commentary in Philippians, Mark Harmon writes, one mark that believers are truly experiencing the shared blessings of the gospel is sacrificial generosity to advance it, to advance the gospel. So as your pastor, I am thankful when you give. And for the church with your tithes and offerings, there, I mean, obviously there's things that, that, that are needed. Uh, You've know, got to pay the electric company and different things need to be taken care of. But ultimately, I am thankful 
Um, and because it shows health in believers. You know, it's a, a mark, but a good mark, of the healthiness of individuals' hearts, um, but also as a church as a whole. And that's also why we as a church want to have stuff not stick to us, all but, but pass through us as well. And that's why we give um, a, a double tithe of what we receive to God's work of missions and evangelism, taking the gospel to other places and around the world. And when you give to God's work, you're making a sacrifice that, to God that pleases him. That's what Paul is saying in that passage as well. That it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, we don't do it to earn our salvation, to earn God's pleasure. Christ earned that in full for us on the cross. But when we give, it does please him. And it is a sacrifice that we um, we're giving back to him what he already gave to us as to steward for him. And God, he's the ultimate giver. I mean, we're going into Christmas when we celebrate that God gave his son for our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And finally, through Christ, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Move the Philippians out. Well, they're, they're given sacrificially. Are they going to have anything left for themselves about their needs? And Paul's reminding them, God's going to take care of you. He's going to make sure that you're, what you actually need really is taken care of. And so this, we have one of the, another one of the most, uh, the, the greatest standalone verses that's in uh, the book of Philippians verse 19, you know, and this is one that this is a promise to believers and this is, this is a glorious promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's not the final words of this letter, but it's close to it. This is a glorious promise. It's promises Philippians, but I believe to all believers. God, he is our father. He is going to make sure that we have what we need. Now focus, there's a word need, okay? God promises to supply not our every want, but our every need. And there's a difference. There's things people want for Christmas, and there's, well, what do you, what do you actually need, though? And so, uh, you know, wants can be above and beyond, but, but needs are what you actually should have. And the reality is sometimes we don't need what we want, and sometimes we don't want what we need, but God will still give you what you need if he knows that's what you really need. And maybe what you need, um, sometimes God knows, is hardship that he is going to use for his purposes. Uh, his greater thing. And we may not figure that out. Maybe we will. We know it builds character. It's an opportunity to glorify him. But God will give us what we actually need. And he will take care of us for all eternity. Because this life is not the end of things. So even when this life ends, we have eternal life with him and we have a lasting joy. Elon Musk has been in the news a lot. See him, I think a lot of people know who uh, Elon Musk you know, is. I mean, this guy, he, he owns SpaceX. Build, I mean, genius inventor guy, sends rockets into space. Uh, owns Tesla, so all these cars. Uh, and just amazing, now he owns Twitter and all this. And depending when you look, 
Uh, he's either the, the richest man in the world or maybe the second richest man, which, you know, I'd still settle to be the rich, second richest man. That's okay. Uh, but I, I looked up, like, how much is he worth? And if at least my uh, Google search is to be, be believed, uh, his present net value right now is $174.6 billion. Not million, billion dollars. I was thinking about that. That's just an unbelievable sum of money, $174.6 billion. You realize, put it up here, this amount, that, okay, even the point six, okay, even if you took away the 174 and just left the point six, that's still $600 million, okay? I want to think, okay, I've got to wrap my mind around how much this is. Like, how much could he spend on Starbucks a day before it starts eating into his budget? And I did the math. Okay, if he spent four and a half million dollars every day for a hundred years, he would not run out of money. Even if he never made another dollar, okay, he could... Uh, that's, that's a lot of Starbucks, okay? Uh, four and a half million dollars every day for a hundred years. And actually, because I was kind of rounding it, uh, he would actually have a little leftover. I don't know, like, how much is that little? He would still have around $10 billion leftover, even after doing that, okay? <laughs> so he has a ton of money. It's Christmas time. Imagine you're doing your secret Santa, and uh, Elon Musk gets your name. You're going to get a gift from him. Now, just if you get it, Elon Musk gives you something, you open it up, oh, it's a $25 gift card to Red Robin. All right. That would be him giving you something out of his riches. Okay, he paid for it, and hey, Red Robin, there you go. Um, even if he gave you a brand new Tesla, okay, a long-range edition, and, uh, that would still that'd be out of his riches. You wouldn't even notice it. But what if he decided he was going to give you a gift according to his riches? What would that even be? I don't know. I can't even fathom what that would be. But I want you to think about what verse 19 says. Believer, what is his promise? And God will supply every need of yours out of his riches and glory? Nope. According to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. God supplies our needs not out of, but according to his riches. And that's amazing. The gifts that he's given us. And again, I'm not talking about material things, health or wealth. Oh, he gives us what we, what we need for a time being here on this earth too. But deeper, more valuable things. Joy in him, salvation, treasuring him. He is the greatest gift. He is the greatest treasure. And Jesus is the one that came for us. And this is all in Jesus Christ. Not only can you do all things through Christ, God gives you all things through Christ. So remember that this Christmas. That's why the Philippians could be generous in their giving instead of stingy. That's why Paul and the Philippians could be content no matter the circumstance. And we finish up the book here, reading just a a tiny bit more. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all about God's glory. And then final greeting. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. 
All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wait, is it what? Especially those of Caesar's household. Remember they thought, Paul's in prison. Man, the gospel's been stymied. It's been stalled out. And he just drops it in. Hey, there are people in Caesar's household that are believers now. It doesn't necessarily mean the biological family. The household includes servants and all these. And we don't know exactly how that happened, but the gospel was working. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And as you go into this week with Christmas, let me wish you that blessing as well. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift that you give us in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that has ever and could ever be given, and that through him we can know you, we can be reconciled to you. Despite our sins, we have forgiveness in Christ, we have joy, a joy that cannot be taken away. So help us to learn, Lord God, teach us and help us to learn contentment with what you have given us, Lord, no matter what it is, whether it's, whether there's a lot of presents under the Christmas tree or hardly any or none, to have contentment in you. Help us have spirits of generosity. We do not worship our things, but we're, we're stewards and we can give them away and when needed for, for your work, Lord God, and as an offering sacrifice to you, Lord, because we want to see you glorified. And Lord God, we thank you that you supply every need. You will take care of us. You are not a father that abandons his children, but you're a father that takes care of us. And you give us exactly what we need. Not what we want always, but what we need, Lord God. And so we ask you, take care of us. We thank you. And may everything be for your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.